Welcome back to Pro Football Network's Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell, PFN's Fantasy Football Director. With me is PFN Fantasy Analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. As always, you can find us at profootballnetwork.com on the Fantasy tab or anywhere else on the site where you are interested in football. And hey, the season might be over, but the more you know, the better prepared you'll be for the 2022 season. I've watched many people make the same mistakes year after year, reaching for uh wildly overworked running back or thinking a middling wideout can replicate a career year when he's no longer his team's number one receiver buying into the unfounded conventional wisdom that players perform better after bye weeks versus short weeks all that stuff we'll get into more as 2022 continues we're just here to walk you through the facts right so you can better predict the future today cats and i are examining lessons learned about QBs in 2021, how we can apply these lessons to 2022, starting with seemingly shocking underperformers. So Katz, I'm turning it over to you now. Who's one of your biggest quarterback underperformers for the season? What were the warning signs so that listeners can get inside your head and understand how we could have anticipated what happened? One of the things that I like to do is, is look at more, uh, unconventional types of, of uh, approaches to these to these things and you can look at certain guys like if we go down like daniel jones didn't perform well and taylor heineke wasn't a good quarterback of course but i i don't think you're going to hear a lot about this guy underperforming and it's kyler murray and mm. i've been a huge kyler murray supporter i was all in on him as the number one overall pick and, I, and i've and i've i really bought into him as this uh real life superstar yeah. And he's been more of a fantasy star than a reality star when it comes to the Cardinals. But even in fantasy, he was a bit of fool's gold in the 2021 season. Kyler Murray finished as the overall QB4 with 22.1 fantasy points per game. Now, that is fantastic. That was good. Right. So, so what am I talking about here? What do, what do I mean that he underperformed? Well, if, if I told you that when you drafted Kyler Murray, you were mostly getting Kirk Cousins. Would you take him in the fourth round? <laughs> this should be a Kirk Cousins podcast then. But how how did we miss on Kirk Cousins? Um, well, I mean, it is less about Kirk Cousins being great and more about <laughs> Kyler Murray not being as good as we thought. Kyler Murray scored 32.4% of his fantasy points in weeks one, two, and 13. Wow. Obviously, those weeks count. And in those weeks, he probably won you a matchup. And there's value in that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't draft the guy who can win you a matchup by himself three times a year. But in his other 11 starts, he averaged 19 fantasy points per game, which is 0.2 fewer than Kirk Cousins. Is That is not the guy you drafted. Yeah. And 11 out of 14 as a borderline QB1 is not what I want for my QB1 that I'm spending a fourth or fifth round pick on. Yeah, I re- I like that call because I traded for Kyler Murray after week one um, because I was sold on him as the arguably most complete quarterback in fantasy. And his running numbers tanked uh, at the until he came back from his injury. And then he had like a couple rushing touchdowns, I think, in his first game back. It might have been that week 13 that you were referencing, Katz. I think he started running a little more, but on balance – he was not the rushing friendly quarterback that he had been. And I don't know how people could have anticipated that, but just to say that he had a great receiving core when it was healthy uh, and adding Zach Ertz certainly uh, helped a lot. Zach Ertz is one of the top fantasy tight ends in the league. 
but not him not being an 800 yard rusher uh, really impacted uh, fantasy managers who needed more than a pocket passer as their number one. Absolutely. Kyler Murray's biggest issue and the biggest change from 2020 to 2021 was in fact the rushing. It was almost half. I know he did miss two games, but even if we extrapolate that, we're looking at 51.2 rushing yards per game in 2020 versus 30.2 in 2021. Yeah. He rushed for 11 touchdowns 2020, just five in 2021. And we know rushing touchdowns are what, are what gives quarterbacks that cheat code, especially in modern fantasy, where more and more quarterbacks are mobile. You get those extra two points per touchdown. You got six more of those in 2020, and those are worth six points, not four. So there was just this massive edge to having Kyler in 2020 that just wasn't there for, for 11 out of his 14 starts in 2021. So I'll add a player to this mix because you brought up Kyler Murray. And for those of you listening, Katz and I do not uh, rehearse this podcast. We are two people who spend every day at Pro Football Network analyzing data, analyzing players, trying to understand the why and the how so that we can project what we think will happen going forward. And I'm hearing Kyler Murray, and the first name that jumps out at me is Dak Prescott. And I had uh, Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott. I think they were two, three in my preseason. Yeah, they were two, three in my preseason rankings at quarterback. And it might surprise you to hear, Cats, although it, it probably won't because you know this, uh, that Dak Prescott had only 65 more rushing yards than Tom Brady. So that threw me for a loop when I looked in week 15 or week 16 and thought, what is going on with Dak Prescott? I know that he's not running much, but what you know, he's still a great fantasy quarterback. No one can can you know say that he's not. I mean, he he almost led the league in QB rating for whatever that's worth. I mean, to some it is worth a lot, but he's he was like 10th, 14th, or something like that in rushing yards for quarterbacks. That is not what people signed up for. When, including myself, when I ranked him third overall, I looked at a guy who in previous years, and I'm not talking about his injury plague 2020 season when he got knocked out in week five, but even in that, in that season, he was on pace for about 300, 350 rushing yards. And that makes a big difference when you talk about a guy who goes from averaging about 300 rushing yards to getting 146 in an extended season. That little bit, it means fewer opportunities to score touchdowns. He had six rushing touchdowns in each of his first three seasons. He had only one this past season. The difference between Dak Prescott being very, very good quarterback and being elite comes down to his rushing yards. And I think he and Kyler Murray have some similarities there. Yeah, Dak Prescott averaged 20.3 fantasy points per game this past season. That is the QB 10. So he was a low end QB one. I remember before he broke his ankle in 2020 for the first five weeks, he was the overall QB one and it wasn't close. And part of that, part of that was obviously the Cowboys dreadful defense that had Dak throwing all game, but it was also, it, it also involved him running. He rushed for three touchdowns in 2020 in just five games. Yeah. And like you said, uh, six touch, six rushing scores in each of his first three seasons. If, if he's going to rush for five to six touchdowns a year, as well as for about 20 yards per game, and you compare that to what he did this past season with the one rushing touchdown and just 9.1 rushing yards per game, that is an extra uh, about you know, 1.5 to 2.5 fantasy points per game, yeah. which 
if you if you tack that on to what he did this season, that would vault him up from a back end QB one all the way to a top five QB one, which is a that's that makes all the difference. And top five in the elite sense, like top five where any other season he could be number one or number two. I mean, this was you know this was a season when you had you know three four guys at at three sixty three seventy plus. It was a pretty high scoring top group, and he would have been part of that group. So it's uh, and just to put a cap on what cats uh, what you were saying. Last season, he was on pace to break the all-time record for shatter. Uh, quarterbacks. Yeah, you're right. And not just break, shatter Patrick Mahomes' record for most fantasy points by a quarterback. I mean, it was he was literally unstoppable, uh, and that offense was unstoppable. And so then the question becomes, we look at Kyler Murray and we look at Dak Prescott, and then the question for you, Cats, is are you concerned heading into 2022? We understand Kyler Murray. There are some... Uh, uh, challenges going on there in terms of uh, his uh, his uh, uh, connect. I don't want to say this the right way. How he feels about his organization um, and whether he wants to continue play for the for the Cardinals. Um, I think that's fair to say at this point. We don't know yet. It's many months away before the start of the season. But if you were to put a, a finger on the pulse of what might happen with fantasy heading into August. Would you still be bullish about Kyler Murray and Dak Prescott as two prime age, especially Kyler Murray, pre-prime age quarterbacks at the top of the of the echelon, or would you be concerned? One thing I'm going to be very interested in is their ADPs. And make no mistake about it, this podcast will not be discussing any 2022 redraft ADPs in the month of February or March or April. That is not going to happen. It is right. way too right. early for that. But eventually. And when we get into July, August, ADP starts to coalesce. It starts becoming a useful data point. And what I'm curious to see is where these guys end up. Because I tell you point blank, if Kyler Murray's price this year is where it was last year, I'm out. I will not be spending a fourth or fifth round pick on Kyler Murray. Yeah. As for Dak Prescott, it depends on where he goes. Based on his performance this past year, and I do think fantasy managers will be keen to his reduced rushing role if that – drops his ADP into more of the seventh, eighth round range, then yeah, I'm absolutely in because I'm okay with getting a back end QB one if I if I don't have to take him in the first six or seven rounds. That's the key. Yeah. If he's another Justin Herbert kind of you know who dropped the eighth or ninth overall selection in this year's draft. In most drafts, his ADP was about eight or nine. He was he was outside the the pure automatic gotta go at these guys kind of, you know, kind of ADP going into the season. If Dak falls into that eight nine area, he becomes a really cool buy with with the the roster around him. Especially if Cowboys somehow re-sign Michael Gallup, although maybe they don't need to with Cedric Wilson. But if if they keep that core together, great. But if Prescott's ADP what is you know four or five, then maybe there's a little bit more nervousness because he really has to get those rushing numbers up to be to have the you know the the ceiling that you want out of a guy that you're taking, let's say in the fourth or fifth round. And, and one thing that I, that I, I did a little uh, small research project in preparation for this, because what I was looking nice. at is somebody like Dak Prescott who averaged 20.3 fantasy points per game in years past, we would covet that. We would say, if I can get a guy at 20 points per game, that gives me an edge. But what's happened over the recent years is there's been a massive, as many of us are aware, there's been a massive shift in the NFL toward passing and more and more quarterbacks are more and more prolific every year 
if yeah. we go all the way back to to like uh, the early 2000s, That's right. we are looking at zero quarterbacks averaging 20 fantasy points per game. Yeah, there we like 250 to 280, right? That was like a great quarterback back then. 250, yeah. 280 points, something like that. Um, well, I'm, I'm thinking about points for a game on the average, but if we're, we're talking about 16 to 18, if you can get that, wow, yeah. absolute yeah. smash. Right. And now, if you're looking at this year's like like 16 points per game this year was was, was, was a mid-QB too. So yeah. if, if we're taking over specifically uh, the last uh, five years or so, in 2017, there were four quarterbacks that averaged 20 points per game or more. 2018, eight. 2019, eight. 2020, 10, 11, if you count Dak, who would have gotten there had he played a full season. And in this 2021, 11 quarterbacks. Wow. 11 averaged 20 points per game. And that is a twofold effect. It's not yeah. just on on it on the devaluing of like getting that elite quarterback because there was they were much more they were much closer in terms of the grouping between the top quarterbacks and the bottom ones but also it makes actually drafting a quarterback in the in the middle to late rounds uh more important than just waiting like we used to to like the 12th or 13th round like who cares i'll stream well you can't just stream anymore because even the back end qb ones are averaging 20 fantasy points per game and if you don't have one like the difference between Josh Allen, overall QB1, 24.2 points per game. No, let's drop the Tom Brady, take the QB2, 22.7. Between him and Dak, the QB10, uh, we're looking at 2.4 points per game. But if you yeah. go from Dak as the QB10, j- just a little bit down, just a little bit down to Jameis yeah. Winston, who in seven games averaged 17.2 points per game, you're at three points. Yeah. Right. That's, 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 a, that's a three. That's, there's a wider gap between the QB 10 and the QB 14 and the QB two and the QB 10. That's pretty insane. And you would think like a few years ago, 17 points a game, you could get that from Jameis Winston. Hey, take it. Nowadays it's, it's a QB, it's a mid range QB two. Yeah, I've got a stat to throw at you cats. Cause I, I, it's funny. I was doing some parallel research. We should have pooled our resources together and done it together. But I know that, you know, we like to stay separate with our research, but I found, I, I have this whole research project I've been doing on 20 plus point scores and 30 plus point scores and the prevalence of those types of one time 20 to 30 point, you know, 20 plus or 30 plus point uh, outputs and which positions tend to benefit. Because this past season, I won my league because of this research. I, I, I had researched and found that wide receivers were the biggest beneficiaries of 30 plus point scoring. So when I realized my team was not good enough, I went all in on elite receivers and ended up winning my league. So I stand by this. I play by this. And what I can tell you is with quarterbacks, even though their 30 uh, uh, point plus output is fewer and farther between than your typical running back and wide out, when it comes to actual 20 point scores in terms of like the, 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 the prevalence of 20 plus point scores, this is the these last two seasons, it's never been higher uh, for quarterbacks. So you're seeing uh, just this boom, just building on what you're saying, Katz, of quarterbacks where suddenly getting someone like Kyler Murray, who's not running the ball enough, or Dak Prescott, who's really not getting enough uh, yardage on the ground, you start to say, well, you know, is there someone else who can get me 20 plus points semi-consistently? And maybe I just stream the two of them based on matchup. And you could almost pull out the same uh, total production out of if you have Jameis Winston and, you know, uh, and somebody else like, a, you know, a top 14 guy, 
maybe you stream in the right situation, you might end up with the same number of points overall as you would if you just go Kyler Murray all out. Yeah, and it's fascinating because it's because there are so many quarterbacks producing at such a high level. It makes it harder to stream in the sense that I know what you're saying is playing matchups, but you can't stream like you used to in terms of picking up a quarterback each week off waivers because what happens is we pick up these guys to stream and then we're like, oh man, these guys are actually averaging starter worthy numbers. I can't drop this guy. And all of a sudden you've got a 12 team league and you've got 17 or 18 quarterbacks rostered. And you, and the guys available to stream are, are just, they're so much worse than everyone else. I had a stretch last year, much like you, I traded for Kyler Murray in a league. And I had a, I had that five week stretch where he didn't play any football and I'm streaming guys every week. And I just can't get anyone to give me more than like 10 points because right, right. Just so many quality quarterbacks are already rostered. Trevor Lawrence or Daniel Jones, right? That's what you're dealing with. <laughs> right. I mean, I, th I think one of those weeks I might have gone with Trevor Lawrence, uh, and it was it was a disaster. I mean, I think the best stream I had eventually was I got two right. That was like one out of four. I went three straight <laughs> weeks where my quarterback didn't throw a touchdown. It, it was still <laughs> a disaster. So, so the big takeaway with the uh, let's uh, let's shift real quick because uh, uh, before we get to big takeaways, I want to throw out Matt Ryan to you. Matt Ryan is someone I got very wrong. I thought he would step up. Part of it may have been Calvin Ridley stepping away from football. I I think that. You know, I'd be lying if I said that didn't have some impact. Uh, I think it was two of his three best games came before Calvin Ridley stepped away. Um, you know, both he scored over uh, uh, Ryan had over 20 points. One, he had 29 fantasy points. So I do think Matt Ryan's season, uh, uh, you know, changed inalterably uh, after Calvin Ridley stepped away, going to Russell Gage and a rookie Kyle Pitts um, and leaning entirely on Cordero Patterson. Uh, for much of the season wasn't enough to sustain him. But I do wonder, like looking ahead, the lessons learned on someone like Matt Ryan, who's clearly post-prime, he'll be 37 going into the next season. We don't know yet while recording this whether the Falcons are going to add someone off free agency who might be an impact receiver, you know, I, whether it's a Godwin or, 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 or somebody at, you know, at a different level or even a DJ Chark. But the point is, this is someone who consistently has been relevant. Matt Ryan is is the quintessential, uh, just like you're saying, uh, Katz, that, you know, if the top 16, 17 guys are gone, most seasons, either Matt Ryan is dangling as a backup quarterback on somebody's roster, or he's a great streamer. Um, one or two times he's been an impact, you know, he's going to help you win a title. But those days are are almost assuredly gone. So my question is, going into next season, could we look to Matt Ryan as a rebound candidate or looking back at what he did this season, not able to recover? Is this someone who, now that we, we see hindsight is twenty twenty, we just can't trust as a top 16 guy going forward? Uh, I lean more toward the latter. Uh, what you say about Matt Ryan is very accurate. He's been that guy for the better part of his career, where if you wait on the quarterback, Worst case scenario, it's like, ah, don't worry about it. I'll just draft Matt Ryan and I'll be fine. And yeah. that's exactly what you would be. You draft Matt Ryan and you'd be fine. And I I would be lying if, if I didn't think that that was the same case this year, where if you had to, worst case scenario in that 12th, 13th round, you know what? Take Matt Ryan. I'll figure it out. You know, maybe, maybe take Matt Ryan, pair him with Trey Lance or Justin Fields till they break out, sit on it. That ended up completely backfiring. Yeah. Well, can Matt Ryan be that guy again next year? At this point, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. I I tend to not buy that a guy who showed obvious signs of decline at age 
in his age 37 season now, which is what he'll be in 2022, will suddenly reemerge. Uh, for what it's worth, we did see that from Aaron Rodgers. He spent two seasons where it looked like he was he was just about you know, done being an elite yeah. quarterback, and then back-to-back MVPs. All of a sudden, he's back to being great. Yeah, uh, but Aaron Rodgers is also probably a top-five quarterback of all time. Matt Ryan, definitely very good, one of the best quarterbacks of the past 15 years, but he's not he's not top 10 or top 15 all time. Yeah. I don't know if Matt Ryan, and he's never been that prolific consistently to the point where I would be willing to buy in a resurgence. He strikes me as the type of guy that was going to go undrafted in the vast majority of standard size 12-team leagues, and maybe at some point he emerges, he has a big week one, and you pick him up. Maybe maybe, maybe that's what happens, or, or, or you stream him a couple weeks, but I just don't see him being a consistent producer anymore. And what can I ask you about Jared Goff? What lessons we can learn about him? I've I've learned those lessons the hard way. I actually bought into Jared Goff a few years ago, coming off that Super Bowl campaign. I thought that with McVay, there was just a a, a solid opportunity for him to be. Uh, it sounds strange, but when you look back on what he did in 2018, it isn't that strange that he could have been on a trajectory to be a top five quarterback in fantasy. Um, and uh, if you look at his numbers, his second and third season, he had 60 touchdowns, 19 interceptions through the air um, and, you know, 8,400 or so, uh, you know, uh, uh, passing yards. And so uh, this was a guy who looked like he could get it done. He goes to Detroit. Um, and he, what 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 I love about him is that he comes on strong at the end. They stuck with him and he comes on strong and he reminds everyone that he can still be a capable starting quarterback in the league. He had, uh, I think, seven, eight touchdowns in his last four games or or 10 in his last five. He did enough where people went, oh, maybe he just saved his job. And I guess my question for you is, I mean, obviously, I thought Goff would do a little bit better than he did. Hawkinson went down. DeAndre Swift went down. Uh, Cephas went down. His his uh, Quintus Cephas is default, you know, default number one before Amon Ross St. Brown stepped up. Um, but this is clearly a team that, that was going nowhere and the receivers injuries didn't help. Do you think that the lesson learned of this is, well, this is why we don't trust Jared Goff, (laughs) or is there a possibility that we could see Goff with a fully healthy team and a great pass catching running back actually go back to being a streaming, a legitimate streaming quarterback in fantasy? I think Jared Goff is on pace for like a Teddy Bridgewater type career arc where he's just your fringe back end starting quarterback in the NFL. Is he one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the world right now? Yeah, probably. But he's in that 25 to 32 range. He's always going to have a job in the NFL. He's going to be in the NFL for another 10 years. He will have a role somewhere. He will have opportunities to start. I think what we'll see is. After he's done in Detroit, whenever that ends up being, he'll sign on as a backup somewhere. Maybe a starter gets hurt, or maybe he steps in and has a, a couple good games, and he ends up getting a starting job somewhere, ends up losing his job to a younger kid, and he kind of shuffles between this, this fringe starter backup role for the rest of his career until you know, until, until he ends up retiring. From a fantasy perspective, it, during those times when he starts, he'll have his moments, sure, but this is still a quarterback that had exactly one 300-yard passing game last season in, in 14 starts. Yeah. And he he had one good year. And I know, I know that he struggled early in his career dealing with uh, Jeff Fisher when he was on, when he was still with the Rams. But other than that 2018 season, uh, his numbers are, are unimpressive. Even in 2019, he was still the starter. He led the NFL in pass attempts, yet he somehow had fewer passing yards than he did in 2018, 
10 fewer touchdowns with four more interceptions. Uh, so it's just, I, I don't see a scenario where Goff, at least this year with the Lions, is anything more than a guy you maybe occasionally look to stream. Very good. I have one more. Do you have any other underperformers from this past season, Cats, that you want to bring up in terms of kind of what they did and what you learned from it? Uh, maybe not necessarily an underperformer, but just a quarterback where there was a stretch that he looked like, oh, oh, wow, you should pick this guy up. And you need to realize that someone like that is unsustainable. And I'm going to go with Carson Wentz here. Mm. From, from weeks five through nine, he averaged 20.9 fantasy points per game. And if we're wow. going back to our season totals, that would have put him at, a, at in between the QB6, QB7 range, right yeah. right around there, right around what, uh, what Jalen Hurts and Aaron Rodgers averaged this season if he could have sustained that. But that's a situation where you need to see that and, and, and just take a step back and, and look at, okay, why? And is yeah. this sustainable? During that span, he faced the Ravens, Texans, 49ers, Titans, and Jets. There yeah, were warning signs. The Niners, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all smooth sailing there. Exactly. So there were warning signs that he was a fake QB1. He had just 20 pass attempts and 223 yards versus the Texans, but he happened to throw two touchdowns. He had just 26 pass attempts and 150 yards against the 49ers. They shut him down, but he threw two touchdowns and rushed for a third. Yeah. Four 20-point fantasy efforts during those five weeks, he had just won the rest of the season. And the key takeaway there is understanding team philosophy and game flow. Teams like the Titans, teams like the Colts with these elite running backs, they want to run the football. And when yeah. they have positive game script, that's all they're going to do is run it 35, 40 times. And if quarterbacks aren't throwing the ball, they can't produce fantasy points. We learn a lot in September each season. And the biggest edge we can have in fantasy, it, it's not smashing your draft because we're all going to get things wrong. And it's not being the guy who rushes out week one, burns all your fab, and maybe gets somebody right. It's to react to what we see in those first couple weeks faster than everyone else. If we yes, see certain yes. trends developing, we want to be ahead of the curve. The quicker we can figure out what a team is trying to be, the quicker we can deduce what to do with that team's fantasy players. And I love that you said uh, in the beginning that Wentz just happened to throw two touchdowns because that is – that you know it it's not fair if we're on the field but from a fantasy perspective that's how we have to look at it this is not sustainable this is not someone who uh the the game script calls for a wentz led offense and so the incidentals of let's say jonathan taylor getting stuffed you know on second and goal from the five yard line and then you know wentz throws it to mo alley cox or whatever like that's that is a, a, a situational, it, it's not easily predictable. And so, uh, we, you know, and, and I'm just looking at it right here. As you're talking, cats, I'm pulling up the least passing teams in the NFL. And I'm going to roll through these. Uh, the, they're the 10 least passing teams. They threw the fewest attempts of any team. And the first two are anomalies, the Eagles and the Seahawks. The next ones, the Saints, Niners, Browns, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Broncos, Bears. If anyone listening drafted and started more than, let's say, six times, any quarterback on any of those teams besides Russell Wilson and Jalen Hurts, then I'd love to know how big a league you're in. It's probably a 20-team league because if you started consistently, and I'm, I'm saying you know at least six because Jameis Winston was good a few of those weeks, obviously, we talked about. But between him and the Niners, the Browns, Colts, Patriots, Titans, Broncos, Bears, if you're looking at teams that are run first, you are rolling the dice on their quarterback. You are hoping beyond hope 
that they succeed where so many others have failed. And I think that's a big lesson learned going into 2022. Right. The, the reason that someone like Jalen Hurts can work without throwing the ball a lot is because he is running. So yeah. unless you have a rushing quarterback in a run-first offense, then you you don't want quarterbacks in offenses that want to run the ball as their primary means of moving the ball. And it, it's it's really a testament to Russell Wilson that he's been able to be a QB1 for so long, playing with his backwards offense with Pete Carroll, who who really yeah. hasn't had to run an offense since since 2012. Yeah. And and just with these other guys who aren't as efficient as Russell Wilson has been throughout his entire career, you don't want them. Look at Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was incredibly efficient during his uh, his half season taking over from Mariota and then uh, his, his full season starting last year. And uh, many of us, myself included, were like, okay, well, I guess Tannehill is good. Uh, well, it turns out that uh, the data points that we had for the first, what was it? Seven, eight years of his career. Yeah. Turns out One that more was, accurate. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was more who Tannehill was than the guy yeah. that he was for, for about 16 games between 2019 and 2020. He did have a new offensive coordinator and, and Derrick Henry's injury probably, you know, changed the complexion of the, and, and, and made him into the type of quarterback that you don't want him to be, which is uh, uh, he has to help really win games. And that's uh, uh, with AJ Brown, Alien and Julio Jones not working out. It, it, I think there were a lot of things stacked against him. Your central point though is spot on. Uh, and I don't want to detract from that. Uh, I want to try to take uh, 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 both sides of, of the Ryan Tannehill debate especially for those Dolphins fans listening who still uh, adore him. Uh, Katz, thank you uh, for uh, uh, being here as always. Uh, again, Jason Katz, I'm BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com on the Fantasy tab or any other tab you like. Uh, we will see you next time. Good luck in the meantime.